Welcome to Left on Red, the Daily Mountain Eagles new political history podcast. I'm Jennifer Coron. And I'm Drew Gilbert. We thank you for tuning in again today when our guests are Sheriff Nick Smith mm-hmm. and Director of Operations of the Sheriff's Department, Nick Key. Yeah. And before we- he had that fancy and somewhat vague title. <laughs> the perfect he, description of the title. <laughs> he uh, uh, he ran Nick's. Should we name them like Nick One and Nick Two at some point? Or yeah, or we could do like Smith and Key. Smith and Key. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's what you do. I don't know to show respect for people, and I, I don't I know guess. when you listen to this, you're gonna you're gonna question how much we respect them. <laughs> um, but yeah, Which I just, we I just do. realized Which in we talking do, about the dicks, the that's gonna, that's gonna get awkward. But yeah, so he ran Nick Smith's um, social media campaign mm-hmm. during the election, and I was really excited about that. Um, for those of you that don't know, I think most of you do. So Nick and I worked together for six years. Um, when I became mayor of Cordova, uh, Chief Bobo had informed me he was going to take the job at mm-hmm. Carbon Hill, so I was kind of left scrambling. And uh, Nick Smith was the first phone call I made. We interviewed mm-hmm. about eight people. I, I had watched what he'd done in Parish, and mm-hmm. and I thought, man, I can get with that. You know, let, let's go get this guy. And I really didn't know him well. Uh, I knew him from his Just reputation. Knew him yeah. Right. Um, so we we got to work together. We got to know each other. I consider Nick to be a really good friend now. Uh, I'd always told the way I described him to people is I, I feel like I could hand him. Uh, my wallet and my wife, and they'd be returned to me in the same condition mm-hmm. in which uh, he had been given them. Uh, and that's the highest praise I can give any mm-hmm. man. Um, uh, but uh, through all that, uh, you know, I had run social media in my campaign previously for mayor, and this was a new thing for him. And I just felt like somehow de facto I was going to be helping him with social media, and I really didn't want to. Uh, at this point, Facebook and I had, you know, we had a mm-hmm. messy divorce. We were out on each other. And I felt like he was going to pull me in and then enter Nick Key with glowing lights behind him. And I was like, all right, there's mm-hmm. your guy. Thank goodness. I don't have to spell check you. Uh, I just don't have to be involved in this mm-hmm. at all. Also, for those of you who might be customers of Drew's, as you listen to this episode, I encourage you to maybe do so in Drew's establishment. Ooh. And every time Drew says the word signs, <laughs> y'all a play a drink game. <laughs> No, um, you're not going to get to the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, if you're going to do that, let me know ahead of time because we need to arrange you a ride home. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to you're going to really feel my hatred for signs on public rights of way in this episode. And if Jennifer doesn't censor me, you're probably going to hear it in a lot of uh, a lot more episodes. And just well. be aware that we have a lot more audio of Drew talking about the signs. Yeah, they I cut, cut. Me. They cut me hard on this um, one. I had to threaten physical violence if the man <laughs> said, let's talk about signs again. So that may come up again, yeah. unfortunately, in another yeah. interview. And it hey, may I'm come passionate. up. Uh, we're talking about when this season is over. We're talking mm-hmm. about going through, I think, November the 21st. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this season is over, we're going to do what I'm calling mini-sodes that will continue through, hopefully, December or however yeah. long it goes. Um, they'll be shorter. Uh, some of it may be things that didn't make it into the actual episodes this season. Uh, some of them may be new content. But I envision an episode just about Drew and political signs. I think it has to be one. And now, don't just limit me to political signs. I hate all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, That's I hate just true. The, I hate the title pawn ones That's why I said too. signs. Yeah. Signs. Yeah. Uh, so well, so off. Be, be, be listening for that. Switching off signs real quick, uh, before we get into Nick's interview, just uh, wanted to point out some political parallels uh, Nick right. and I had discussed a little bit. Um, now, obviously, you're talking on two totally different levels. You know, in Cordova, you're talking five, 600 people are going to vote. Uh, and then at the county level, we were, you know, 30,000-ish, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Uh, but the parallels for, for Nick and I. So, uh, Nick, young candidate, uh, taking on an incumbent sheriff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the initial election, which would have been the Republican primary, uh, there were three candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was him, the incumbent, and another. Uh, and he was less than 10 votes away from not needing the runoff. The runoff uh, just, just beat him outright. I had a very similar situation in Cordova. There were three candidates running for mayor. Uh, I was taking on the incumbent. I was young. And uh, I was on less than 10 votes away from just defeating the incumbent outright in the initial election. So then you fast forward to the runoff. Um, for me, uh, I carried uh, a little over 63, 64% mm-hmm. of the vote uh, to defeat the incumbent. Uh, Nick did the same thing. Uh, he carried about 63, 64% of the vote to, to defeat the incumbent. So I thought that was really cool that we mm-hmm. had paralleled there. And, and again, 
uh, his is so much more impressive than mine. Uh, I only had to convince, you know, a handful of people, and he convinced so many more. So I'm not trying to put us on the same level. Just the fact that those numbers lined up, I was mm-hmm. like, goodness gracious, I can't escape this guy. Well, and as I, I think I've said before, um, the big thing was that you ran a lot of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Which is what made your divorce from social media that <laughs> much. Yeah funnier hey, a you, years you have the high the highs and the low lows in those relationships uh, but right you really did you ran a social media campaign not a traditional campaign yeah. and nick out of the gate was running a social media campaign mm-hmm. and i say that he took your campaign to the county level and it was the first time i had seen it in my lifetime when you did it yeah. was amazed by it yeah. and will always remember it and then nick did the same thing put their own twist on it but uh, nick smith and nick key were doing the same thing they were running a largely social media campaign that combined traditional which is what you're going to hear about this interview right. they combined a, a few more of the traditional tactics than you did but um, they did but they did some stuff i wasn't capable of so kudos mm-hmm. there um, and there were signs there were signs. There were plenty of signs. <laughs> so here's the interview with Nick Smith and Nikki. Our guests today are the Walker County Sheriff's Department's own Pinky and the Brain, Nick Smith. <laughs> which one's which? And Nikki. Hello. I'm going to make you say it. Connie Ropo gave me the best advice ever. She says, Nick, you got to use what you got. Uh, <laughs> it's true. And implicit in that was... And it ain't brains, baby. <laughs> so we're going to talk about campaigning, which is something that I have been fascinated with since college. Sometimes politics, even not as much as campaigning. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Drew, let's start with letting you tell a little bit about 2012 when okay. you were a what, 24, 24 year old whippersnapper running against a mayor um, who had served, I think, two terms, possibly three terms. He was at that two point. terms in, yeah. Um, so I'm his grandson's age, so just for the age gap there, that's yeah. that's what you were looking at, and you decided you want to be mayor. So talk a little bit about how you ran yeah. a very different campaign. Well, let's, let's clean this up. I was a weird little kid that decided I want to be mayor when I was like 14, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like a, I decided it when I was 25. Um, yeah, I'd always wanted to run. I came home uh, from college to run for mayor of Cordova. I'd watch the city kind of decline for all those years, and I wanted to be a part of trying to make it better. Uh, Time will tell if I've succeeded at this endeavor. Um, Tornadoes hit, and we lost a lot, and I was a little scared that if I didn't kind of do it now and do it young, that I might miss just the entire window. So I ran then. So Drew did, he had a Facebook page, and he had, you would just take a topic, and you would just do a long discussion about what you feel about this topic so that your views were were out there. Yeah, I think Um, three people read them. Well... I read them. But I put them out the wheel. Um, I was one of three. But this one over here, you announced on social media. Oh, yeah. Which is not how things are done. Generally, there's an article in the paper or there's some big event with speeches and such. But you announced, and remind me when you announced. It was about April, the year before the the uh, primary for the next oh, year that's a long day. it was a long <laughs> day and I, I remember the day i was actually at the gym and i was kind of frustrated with the things some things that were going on at the sheriff's department at the time and i just kind of made this generic sign said nick smith sheriff and put out a post and was like you know i'm thinking about running for sheriff and in about 30 minutes it had been shared a couple hundred times it had like 600 likes and i was like I might could actually run away. And you told me that that was almost like a test balloon. Like if that had gone nowhere, if it then if that would have yeah. just been something that you did. If it would have gone nowhere, then I wouldn't be where I'm at today. But that traction, I was like, well, I might could give this a shot. And then, you know, a couple of weeks and months went on, and then I made an official announcement that, you know, I was going to run for sheriff. It was June of 2017. It was a year before the Republican primary. Um, I was over at the uh, Summerton Police Department, and this is how I met Nick Key. We were sitting there, we were talking, and I was like, man, I'm going to run for sheriff. He's like, okay. He said, I said, here's my, here's my sign. He says, well, that's the ugliest that's sign I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, hey, strengths and weaknesses. Rough, strengths rough, and weaknesses. And, uh, rough. And, uh, and I was like, well, I said, why don't you help me? <laughs> And uh, so we kind of sat, and he was like, you know, hey, I, you know, I was uh, an English major, or was, you know, going to college to be an English major, and he says, uh, you know, whatever kind of help you need, just just let me know. 
and uh, so it just kind of went from there and we just kind of started shooting ideas and plans and putting things together because I kind of had the law enforcement side from the street level and I kind of knew where I, what I wanted to do, the visions that I wanted to bring to the sheriff's department. And we just kind of sat down and put it all on paper and started laying out a plan similar to, to what Drew did is just laying out every week we were laying out a plan and this is how we're going to make it work. And, you know, the very first one that we announced, it was like in June that same, that same month was our school resource officers plan, how we felt like we could do it and accomplish it in two phases. And we were able to accomplish that within the first couple of weeks of coming into office. And, you know, we just kind of stayed consistency. And that's what I preach every day is that whatever you do, you have to remain consistent. That's why I stay consistent with all the selfies that I take. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta remain you can't consistent. Go off People right expect now. it now, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you, he got into some meat of, of now, but I want to stick back to the social media side of things for the campaign. And the conversations. And and because I'm with you, it's it's man, we get lost in all this noise and these partisan politics, and I'm reading Twitter feeds of every, all this. But at the end of the day, on this level, an election this size, you were able to just tell constituents directly, "This is who I am. This is what I believe in," and then they got to decide a whether they believed it and b whether they liked what you were saying. Was there uh, was there any other method other than just putting this stuff out there? Who was doing the scheduling? Was that you, Key, or? Oh. We scheduled. I, I scheduled a lot of stuff. Um, I stayed on on Facebook probably fifteen hours out of every day, just constantly. Miserable. I mean, it was miserable. Yeah. It was it was tough, but I mean, it's invaluable when you're trying to do something like that. Yep. It can tell you community events. It can tell you where you need to be, the most important places, where the most important people are going to be for you to meet them and talk yep. to them, and you know, network and, and get your message out there. And I mean, it, it's not difficult if you just put the effort in. Yeah, really. I, I mean, I it's, it's all there for you. And I think from the standpoint of what Jennifer said earlier, I think from the very beginning when I announced, um, yes, I had a lot of traction on social media, but the incumbent did not see me as a as a legit contender. Is which is which is to your advantage greatly. And I remember the because I had started way, way early, like – you know, I'd Googled and, and read, you know, how to beat an incumbent, and, and, and you needed to start a year ahead of time. You know, me and Joe yeah. Haygood started a year. We started about the same time. Yeah. We started a year out. You know, so, we, you know, we, we looked at those, you know, I looked at those things, and we, we made that announcement. And I remember my first uh, campaign rally. Um, fundraiser and uh, I was telling Key I said man only three people gonna show up man only three people gonna show up we had a couple hundred people show up and you know and I was like man it just more the more things went more things went along the more confidence I got uh, throughout the campaign I remember talking to a deputy he's like man Jim just don't take you serious I, said, well, I, I don't. I don't think he was still taking you serious on election night. He, no. he didn't take him serious. Body, until body until language to me was that yeah. he <laughs> felt like he was about to win another election. Well, and I, and I remember telling that deputy, I said, "Well, sound like the little engine that that, that could." I'm just a. I said, "By the time they realize that I am a a threat, it'll yeah, be too late." Somebody done got run over by the little engine. That's exactly what happened. It's too late. And to to this point, I mean, I thought you were pretty confident in your ability to win the race, right? I get. I would. I was. I probably the biggest blow that, you know, that caused me concern during the election was when we did our first poll. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a traditional landline poll. Oh, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. <laughs> and, you know, and I was down like 61 to 29%. And I was like, man, there's no yeah, way. 80-year-old people that still have landlines. Right, yes. which well, I so, got those numbers, and I was like, Dude, that's that's awesome. So I was like, 29% <laughs> on a landline <laughs> phone? And he's <laughs> freaking out. And I'm like, that's I, I can't believe we got out of the yeah. single digits. Yeah. I was you know, like, man, so. I, can't, I can't believe that, uh, you know. There's no way I can win. And the guy that was helping me, he said, no, this is good. He said, if you're 29% out of the gate, that's incredible. He said, that's great amongst that demographic of folks. I knew I could carry the social media base and the the younger generation, you know. But so I knew there had to be some kind of give, you know, give there. Um, because you know they were doing social media polls and stuff during that time and it was always like a 80 20 70 mm-hmm. 70 30 which you knew all those individuals weren't going to vote it was just getting them motivated to vote and that's what my campaign guys kept saying so like, you've got to get the social media base out to vote and you can win which is a point 
that I wanted to talk about. What was the strategy, if there was one, for getting social media people who generally we think don't don't vote, they're just mm-hmm. keyboard warriors. What was the strategy for convincing them to show up, but also uh, at the same time reaching people who aren't on social media because you had to thread both of those needles? It was kind of uh, a me. unique situation. It was, uh, you had, I had to run an old school campaign and yep. a new school campaign. I had to target two different bases. So for the for the which would be the landline base of once we I sat down we laid out a door knocking campaign laid out the traditional you know and then just that right there within itself goes a long way you know those numbers continue to 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 go up as we as we continue and we continue to hit the social media base as well and it just all kind of just come together and you know, I remember the night of the election, I was like, man, I just hope I get more than 500 votes, you know, because you don't ever know what people are truly going to, yeah, who's going to show up, who's going to do what. And uh, and I think that the social media base and getting them motivated to vote, just giving them a candidate that they could relate with, a candidate that they could communicate with through social media, you know, messaging back and forth that was open and communicating with them. I think was huge in getting them out to vote. I mean, I've had people that I come across with and says, you know, I haven't voted in 10 years. I haven't voted in five years. And, you know, they felt like they had a connection that they came out and voted for me. For me, the, my, for me it was saturation on, on Facebook, social media. I mean, you had to keep his face or his posts or his whatever pictures in front of people as often as possible, even to the point where it may be annoying and it may aggravate people. And it was. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but two people who are already going to vote. Not on Facebook. <laughs> it didn't annoy me at all. But on Facebook. Because he's not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but on Facebook, social media, something can happen today and it get two million likes. Oh, yeah. It's gone tomorrow. So yeah. you have to just keep pushing the information out there constantly over and over and over, sending reminders to register to vote, sending reminders to go vote. Um, it, because if you if you let up, people move on to the next thing and we had to stay the thing let's talk about uh kind of higher level power of social media are either of you familiar with cambridge analytica you ever heard of that company so these guys have hundreds of data points on just about every american voter they get these data points from social media uh they get them worldwide it's not just america it's Mm -hmm. actually a a company based out of the uk uh so in 2016 do you know which uh, presidential campaign they worked for it was Donald Trump's campaign. This and you can you can do your research on this. These guys literally got Donald Trump elected president, right. leveraging social media data. So what they did, um, say in a state like ours, uh, where you know this state's going to go red, swing voters don't really matter to them, right? They know that the Republican was going to get the electoral votes, and then in a state like California, they knew the Democrat was going to get the electoral votes, right? So they focused on those five, six swing states. And not only did they focus in those states, they focused in counties that might have voted for Obama one time and Romney the next or something like that. And then they found voters, uh, maybe a guy like my dad that doesn't vote for a party, he votes just for who he thinks the best candidate right. is. They found those people on Facebook. And you know what they did with those people on Facebook? They littered them with pro-Trump uh, information and anti-Hillary information nonstop in their feed. They saturated their feeds and literally influenced, you know, I think it was probably 60, 70,000 votes in X amount of counties that really swung this election. Um, absolutely brilliant. I mean, it, this is this is something this that is our, world our kids are going to read about this in a history book. I mean, that was massive. And we did a lot of targeting, Facebook targeting. Mm-hmm. Whenever, if I knew that through polling that, you know, I was behind in a certain area, we would target that area through social media. And just that way, every time they got on social yep. media, it would pop yep. up. So if I was, real. you know, if I was running behind in Carbon Hill, then every time somebody from Carbon Hill got on social media, it's popping in, yeah. the, in their face. And the primary really helped that. It, it, it let right. us narrow down. We got those those box numbers. It uh-huh. let us narrow down where we're struggling, and uh-huh. we hammered those folks. You know, I bet the people in Open were, <laughs> were <laughs> sick and tired. And, and it was it was really great. Give you an give you an indication of uh, of that. You know, when the votes came in that night, the very first box that came in. Which Jasper we knew was was a key element. Yeah. I felt like I could win the county because just because of the past numbers. Mm-hmm. When you had six or seven people run for sheriff, 
the incumbent, he did not do well in the county. He what got him to the sheriff's office was the city of Jasper. Mm -hmm. So that's why I focus a lot of the door knocking campaign. I mean, I knocked on every Republican door in Walker County. And what impresses people is the day is when I see them out, they'll be like, hey, yeah, you knocked on my door. I'll be like, yeah, you live at such and such. <laughs> and it impresses them that I still remember. That would that. terrify me, actually. I wouldn't be impressed <laughs> at all. Yeah. Where we live. But again, like I said, those, <coughs> we were targeting those areas. And when the election night came in, I was 79 votes behind uh, the Jasper Mall box. I was mm -hmm. like, there's no way I'm going to win. And I've never been happier about losing. No, I was like within seventy nine. I was yeah. listen. Yeah, I was, and then that was when I knew we, that we were the next we were after ready. all the Jasper boxes come in. I was one hundred twenty five. We felt like we had to at least split Jasper. I was one hundred twenty five votes behind uh, by the time all the Jasper boxes come in. Yeah, and then Cordova box come in, and I was like, I won Cordova box by two hundred and something votes, and I was like, Oh my God, I can win. Yeah, because then it put me ahead, yeah. and then all the town boxes were coming in. And I was winning each town box by at least 75 to 100 votes. And then Oakman comes in out of nowhere, and I'm like, I lose by 70-something. I was like, how did I lose Oakman? Yeah. So we went back during the runoff, and, I mean, we were in Oakman. I was, I was in Oakman. We were targeting Oakman through social media and then flipped the whole box mm -hmm. in the runoff. Yeah. Uh, something else, too, you, you kind of touched on. We're talking about this leveraging technology as a young candidate. One of the things you did, I went to your, um, I guess, viewing party. What do we call this thing? When we're waiting on the results to come yeah. in, and you had poll watchers all across the county, which is an opportunity that every candidate has when they run, um, and they're literally checking the tapes and oh, yeah. texting you vote totals, and you're adding them up in a room, right? Mm -hmm. So when you walk into the Jasper Civic I mean, Center, you already knew what had happened. Right. We walk into a Civic Center where all of these more traditional candidates are literally waiting on them to announce yeah. it from the stage. We walked we walked into that to the to the primary like we won. Yeah. Because we But the room we, didn't we, know this. We, yeah. When you, the room you walked into right. did not yeah. know that this was yeah. a thing. And and I do feel like I won that night until the mysterious seventeen ballots came in the side door that were supposedly stuck in the uh, Union Chapel box. This is, I'm sorry, this is not a conspiracy theory podcast. You have mistaken us for 90% so of all other ones. We can turn into one real quick. <laughs> Let's, uh, uh, shifting gears a little bit. So we got the social media. Um, well, and we also wanted to talk about the fact that this campaign got noticed. Yeah. This campaign yeah, got let's noticed. Let's not run off. Unless... Uh, you you people, literally got contacted by people from outside the county. People like, wanted hey, to know who Nick social media. was. I mean, yeah. You wouldn't tell anybody. But people wanted to know who was running your social media stuff. Mm -hmm. People, tell me the kinds of people that were that were looking from the outside. No of name dropping. Yeah, I mean, we had people from, like, all our surrounding counties and people who were even from outside the county that were contributing to the campaign. They just liked what we were doing mm -hmm. with, with the campaign. And they were, you know, asking... For advice in their campaigns that they were running in, in their different different counties, and uh, I mean it, it, it caught up a lot of attention. And it's um, and, and we're going to look back on like moments like these because what you're seeing is like these people that have campaigned the same way forever because it always worked. It just doesn't work in the age of technology. We're in a we're in a whole new system. So Barack Obama was the first president to like use Facebook to get elected. Uh, and then you saw, we talked about earlier with Cambridge Analytica and how Trump's campaign was able to use it was light years ahead of what Obama did on Facebook. And we're just continuing in that down that path. And I'm not saying it's necessarily Facebook forever, but it's something. But, well, you can you can win those those old school elections if you're running against old school candidates. That's, that's right. You can Once win the new way. age one comes, but, but you, you, you got to play their game you too. Get, you get a young person in the game, mm -hmm. and they're going to change it. And that's, yeah. what, that's what we did, and, and it terrified people politicians inside this county that's right that we change the game and mm -hmm. they don't know how to play it no they don't and i think even in both our races that our opponents had the perception of wow well, facebook people don't vote that's right and they're wrong we did recently we did a uh, safety program senior safety program at the uh, jasper activity center probably had 50 60 uh seniors there so everybody there's over the age of 65 so when our computer guy gets up and he's introducing himself and he's talking he says how many raise your hand if you got a social media account well all of the hands went up but three yeah so i mean that seven year older generation is on social media they may not be as active as engaging with 
people on Facebook yeah. as much as they are just keeping no, up pictures of grandkids. You're dead on. They're, they're things. underestimating. Uh, Facebook's not a, like a generational thing. Right. Uh, so you got a guy like me, a dreaded millennial. I don't really like Facebook. I'm not even on it. Right. I spend zero hours a week on Facebook. Uh, my grandmother, however, is on Facebook right. all the time on her phone, on her big giant iPhone that's in her hand. It, you know, they think there's some line in the sand there of who the social media works on. And uh, frankly, I think it works better on baby boomers and us. I think you're able to really connect with them better through social media. So, And one other thing on the social media that I wanted to talk about was what happens when social media turns on you. And I'm talking about the rumors. I'm talking about some of the negativity. How do y'all approach that? So you're running a social media campaign, but there's also a lot of stuff, you know, all these posts and things that were coming um, when the first vote totals came in and, and I think people realized, well, we need to do something. And what happened was, was social media attacks. So how did you guys respond to that, to just the, because I can say whatever I want on social media. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to get traction. Mm -hmm. So how do you combat that you've used the good side of social media how do you combat the craziness that also happens on social media as a candidate i think you just shoot back with with facts and you just continue to put out your message i think during my campaign probably one of the biggest things that and it was part of an old school tactic that probably hurt more than anything is right after we won the the, the primary going into the runoff they attacked my picture with Hillary Clinton <laughs> and Barack Obama, and they say Nick Smith is, uh, he's endorsed by uh, lobbyists and gun grabbers and abortionists. Well, when they used the oh, word. Oh, I remember that. When they used you the word. Like that one. When they used <laughs> the word that abortion. That was fighting words You know, there. that was touching home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because, you know, you know, my wife and in our situation of, you know, being able to have children and things, and we have three adopted children and things of that nature. We were just able to come back with that, with facts, and it almost crippled that entire campaign. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it, it's the, the relationship between Sheriff Smith and I. He took that personal because it was personal for him. Mm -hmm. It bothered me because we're friends, and, and I, you know, I'm friends with his wife and I care about his family. But for me, um, I wouldn't have been doing my job if I didn't take that as an opportunity to be a little bit exploitative. Absolutely. And yeah. say, you're going to attack a man who's adopted three children and had fertility issues and connect him to abortionists just because we have a connection to the state's largest union. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's just not, A, that's not okay, and B, don't load my gun for me. Mm -hmm. So y'all chose so, to respond to attacks that rose to a certain level. Obviously, you can't respond to yeah, Well, we had to, we controlled the narrative. Nobody is going to make a comment on our campaign that's going to reach as many people as a comment we make on our campaign. We and had more followers on our campaign than Connie Rowe. And straight call out for Connie Rowe right there. But <laughs> <laughs> and so if we control the narrative mm -hmm. and we, the only thing that people hear is what we allowed them to hear or see as far as, as rumors came. If we saw a rumor that was making, making its rounds and, and it was a little bit louder than others, then we addressed it on our page. We reached quadruple the followers that the person that made the rumor up would have reached and gotcha. we controlled the whole narrative. And you look at example, you know, the incumbent, he did not have a social media page until he was beat going mm -hmm. into the primary and mm -hmm. it was too late at that point to build your base. You know, at that time, I mean, I had started a year, I had a good foundation. A lot of our campaign people were just like, don't respond to things they put on their page because you give it more attention That's by responding right. to you it. You legitimize what they so, put. So right. just yeah. ignore it and then just redirect it somewhere else. And that you know, and that's what we've done. And, and like I said, when they got, I think, extremely tacky, um, you know, um, and, you know, Charles Bishop, you know, he's an old school politician and he had contributed to the campaign. And then they tried to take that and they tried to twist it into how he was going to run the sheriff's department. And had it He's went doing a pretty good job so far, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and and went as far as taking my <coughs> face and putting it on a on a puppet with him as the puppet master and, and you know things like that it was just tacky. And uh, I think they realized that, and by the time the incumbent realized that whoever he had running his campaign was hurting him more than yeah. than he was helping yeah. him, they just kind of shut the whole. Even like three weeks out before the runoff, they had shut down their entire Facebook campaign because mm -hmm. it was going nowhere. So I think perfect segue to get kind of off social media a little bit, but talk about social media was the vessel for you to say a lot of things, right? 
Um, but if you're not saying the right things, right. it didn't really matter. And so one of the, the conversations that we had, and because I want to really draw the parallel here to where you and I were a lot different in campaigning, um, I despise the traditional campaign, uh, the fundraising, mailing flyers out that tells you what I'm going to do to your mailbox, um, doing the polling data and things like that. And I told you this to your face during your campaign, and I said, where I really think your strength is, you're going door to door and you're looking people in the eyes and you're telling them a genuine message, right? And so Facebook was doing the same thing. You know, obviously you're not looking in the eyes, but you're telling a genuine message. And that is lost in the current American political climate. Yep. Uh, for the last decade or so, we've been watching these local races look like DC races, right? You don't have to do it that way on this level. I would argue you don't have to do it that way ever. Um, but I told you, you know, I thought you were really wasting your time fundraising. You're wasting your time putting signs all over the county. And I think I threatened you at one point that if you mailed me anything else, we are going to have to fight. <laughs> but to me, you won an election because you knocked on doors. You told people a genuine message, looking them in the eyes. You meant what you were saying. And then they could look at your track record and be like, well, this guy's done this kind of stuff. What he's talking to me about. And I feel like that's what won the election for yeah. you. Tell me more about the importance you placed on the other side of stuff. Did you kind of do it because it was what everybody did, or did you see? Do you really see value? Hindsight, did you see value in doing that other stuff? Yeah, yeah. There was definitely the door to door was 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 the number mm-hmm. one one thing, you know, and, and whatever stock you put into it, you know, our campaign well, people zero so. stock is what I put <laughs> into yeah. it. But <laughs> campaign people, you know, they were you know. Number one is be- best form of of campaigning is door to door, absolutely newspaper and mail outs, and you know I'll we give them two for three. You know we, we, you know we did all that. I just wanted to, and the same thing I told Nick and the other people that helped me. I don't know how to run a campaign. I've never ran mm-hmm. for office, but what I can tell you is that I'm probably will be one of the hardest working candidates that, you know, yeah. for what it's worth. I, you know, I become obsessed when, when I get into something and I want to do something, I want to see it achieve, I become obsessed with it, and I give it everything I've got. Yeah, and that made it so easy. Yeah. And I think that people seen that when I knocked on their, knocked on their doors. And, you know, too granted the 5,000 selfies I took during the campaign, you know, if I'm in Heritage Hills or if I'm on Fall City Road and I snap a picture yeah. that, hey, I'm out knocking on doors, not only those people that I contacted through knocking on doors other people that might not have seen me uh-huh. because I'm only, you know, I was targeting. I wasn't knocking right. on every single yeah. door. Yeah. Well, we tried that. And one you know, time. And the campaign guy was like, "Yeah, you want that active?" Well, when I met, list. yes. Well, when yeah. I met with him, we're like, we probably the only time he walked and he never come back and knocked on the other door. <laughs> well, we went. There's two reasons for that. Brown's one grocery fat and one it didn't work. So. <laughs> we went from Brown's grocery <laughs> all the way to the reason. end of Breakfast Dairy Road, knocked on every door. I yeah. Mean, we was proud, yeah. but man, we put out probably 50 signs and. uh tell my campaign guy that he's like why'd you waste an entire day to knock on 200 doors to reach 20 registered voters yeah Ooh. yeah and yeah. i was like he's not wrong nah and and then when i got the list went back he was right yeah you know out of all of those houses you might have had 20 people who are consistent voters so keep keeping that in perspective what you just said you really had success with uh knocking on doors cost you zero dollars and zero cents right maybe a little bit of gas money to knock right. around town um, looking at and telling them a message costs you zero dollars and zero cents. Facebook page, unless you're doing the targeted ads, right. zero dollars and zero cents. Which is still a small cost. I really feel like the money side of a campaign, buying signs and putting them everywhere, you know, maybe you need some signs, maybe not as many as you ended up with. Um, mailing stuff to them, I think knocking on the door and looking them in the eyes is so much better. Uh, the point I'm well, making is the things that cost you money and the things that cause the need to raise money, I don't think are as effective as being real for, and looking people in the eye. For me, it, it well, legitimized him as an actual politician, political yeah, well, candidate. Yeah, not, yeah. I'll give you an example. Now, I'll never forget this moment that, well, there's two good moments I had when I knocked on doors. Um, had a gun yeah, put on you n- once. Well, yeah, that's three then. <laughs> 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 but, but I was uh, in Bodo and I was knocking on doors going through my list there was a older man he was sitting inside of his carport he was sitting on the tailgate of his truck i got out and i was talking to him and i could see the jim underwood sign in the mm-hmm. in, in the garage and i continued to talk to him listen to him and he was you know giving me the business you know about you know i was too young this that and, that, and i'm talking to him well his wife comes out she says what are you doing he said i'm talking to 
Nick Smith over here, she kind of snarled. I do that a lot when you come around. <laughs> so I went around over to her and I shook her hand. I introduced herself, myself to her, and uh, she says, well, I've heard some bad things about you. And she goes, proceed, those bad, bad negative rumors and things that, that she heard. And I said, I said, well, I can't attest to that. I said, that's, that's none of that's true. I said, but I can tell you, let me tell you a little bit about myself, and I'm going to tell you why people don't like me and why people start rumors is because I arrest people. I'm not sitting behind that desk all week long. I'm out on the field. I'm working. I'm putting people in jail. So guess what that does when you do that? It makes people mad. And the only way they can get back at me is by getting out here, spreading rumors and lies on me. Uh, that's the only way they can get back. They can't beat me up. They can't do anything without getting themselves put in jail. But they can get out here and slander me because there's, there's no recourse to that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's going to happen to them for, for doing that. And by the time I left from there, they said, you got my vote. We, I was changing that sign out with the mm -hmm. Nick Smith sign. Mm -hmm. And then another one, I was knocking on the door. An older man had come to the, to the door, and he said, uh, he said, son, you know, you're, you're too, I just think you're too young. He said, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be close. He said, I really do think you're working hard. It's going to be close. And he said, my wife's voting for you. Um, you're splitting a lot of houses up, you know. He said, you're doing a good job, but I just can't vote for you because I think you're too young. And I shook his hand. I told him, I said, well, thank you. I said, but maybe your wife won't make you sleep on the couch too much longer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, just things like that. And we did, you know, during that campaign, it was a touchy campaign. and We were splitting households, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, either the husband or wife would vote for Jim or the other, you know, side would, would be voting for me. And I think that's why the election was so close. We were mm -hmm. splitting, we were actually splitting households. And let's just pause in this political environment and point out what was just said. You engaged with someone who didn't like you, mm -hmm. who didn't intend to vote for you. It didn't evolve into a shouting match. You changed at least that one person's mind. That's also something that I think on the local level that can be done that is lost yes. at so many levels yes. that, okay, so we're not, you're not in my camp, therefore mm -hmm. I've written you off. Yep. That is a really crappy way <laughs> to run a campaign and run a country. Oh, Absolutely. And so, I mean, that, not that those conversations are easy, but <coughs> seriously, and, and let's, I, just, let's just pause and, and reflect and, on the fact that we had some difficult conversations. And I told that lady and I said, look, I'm going to tell you what people won't tell you about me. They won't tell you that I've been a police chief and I've arrested 1,500 people for, for drugs and mm -hmm. selling drugs. They won't tell you that I've decreased crime in two different places by 80%. They won't tell you the community programs I've implemented that's helped people. They won't tell you that my wife and I have adopted three children. So if I was the baddest person as people are saying I am, then why would the state allow us to adopt three children? Mm -hmm. And I told her, you know, my, my story, my wife's story, and she's like, well, I didn't know all that. Yeah. I said, of course. I said, yeah. the other side is not going to tell you the positive things about again, me or my campaign. So the person like you, the candidate, has to be willing to have those conversations with someone who's not, you know, uh, predisposed to, to be voting for them. And I, as a voter, have to have an open mind and either accept or seek out information that goes against my own biases mm -hmm. and not enough people do that I will say myself included but that is a very important thing that mm -hmm. needs to be that needs to be done right now just across the board um, what's out there that would change that narrative for me and maybe I'm right in my beliefs maybe there's nothing out there that's that's going to change my opinion mm -hmm. on these certain issues but certainly I need to be putting in the work and, well, and trying to figure out, is there another side of, st of this story? Because there usually is. Well, it was like Drew said, you know, I was on the uh, Ridgewood Road one day, and uh, this lady's grandson called and said, would you put a sign yard or whatever? So I went and put a big sign up. Well, it wasn't his property. It was his grandmother's property. And they were, uh, they own a pretty big business here in, here in Walker County. He called me back and said, oh, they're raising cane. They want you to come get that sign. I come back and I'm getting the sign. Lady pulls up while I'm picking the sign up to put it back in my truck, and uh, she stops. She says, "This ain't nothing personal against you." She says, "I know I'm friends with the the sheriff, and uh, we own a business. We just don't want nobody nobody sign out here." Mm -hmm. I said, "That's fine." So I talk to her and I tell her some of the same things about me and what I want to do. I hand her my flyer, you know, and she says, "You got a pretty family." So I'm. I go into telling her about my family. I go into telling her about my campaign. 
whole nine yards. And she, you know, she was like, well, I've got adopted children and this, that, and that. We're just talking. I mean, we're having a conversation. And she says, she goes to pull off, she says, leave that sign there. I think you got another vote. Oh, dang. And, you know, and that, that just in with itself, it was, <coughs> when I was able to meet those individuals, it registered, well, he's not what I hear. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he's not what I... You aren't the caricature. He's not... You're what, a real person. He's not what people, you know, he has all of his teeth. He's not, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Which, and going, going back to the original thought on, uh, and I, I tended to lean more towards Drew on, I, I don't think that, the, I didn't think that that stuff mattered as much. Mm-hmm. But when you're targeting certain demographics and you're trying to go to people's houses that vote, mm-hmm. the percentages say that, that, that they're older people. They're between certain ages. And that's what they're used to in a campaign that's right that's what they're used to from a politician so to legitimize him as a politician he's already young he's already social media savvy which makes him look even younger Mm -hmm. to people like that so we we had to be show that we could be that he's a real politician that he's a real person not just some face on your phone or your computer screen and the only way to do that was go door to door and the one day we tried to do that to go to, to every door on this road, um, I, I don't, people don't, I told him, I said, listen, man, I, I can knock on 30 doors today and I'm not the Nick that people want to see. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear me talk about him. They want to see him. They want his face when they open the door to be the one they see. Yeah. And I think once we figured that out and we started targeting those voters and putting his face in their window, that that I mean we we, we just gained and a whole new another big thing was is when I would leave my cards I would write I came by to see you call me here's my cell phone number mm-hmm. and people some people would call mm-hmm. not as much as they do today but, you, but then they, but they would, they would battery call. was usually dead mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't charge your phone. or or you have a block listen <laughs> I, okay since the the very first day that we started working together I have never been able to call him on his cell phone I have to call him on messenger because he has me blocked. And he doesn't know how to unblock. It's a life choice, I feel like. So, I which it like. works for me. It's great. Um, but let, so let's get, let's talk about the signs here a little more because it's a very passionate. Signs topic. are a thing for Drew. Um, in Cordova, I was just going to say, where you queue up signs. So in Cordova, Alabama, uh, in the last six seven years, how many signs ever stayed on public rights of way mm. ever? And I'm not just talking about campaign signs. I'm talking about those nice little payday loan ones or the health insurance, whatever the heck they put we buy out. houses. Yeah, yeah. And they put I think I saw you poles. one day, and in the back of your truck, you oh, personally had I do five or. Yeah, I mean, it's more efficient. Why call, you know, public works or the police department? I'll just rip it on myself. And let's just be honest. You you take take a perverse pleasure. I enjoy it. I usually reach out to the companies that put them on rights of way, and I was like, hey, can you send me the name of whoever, you know, littered the right of way 14 times so I want to make sure the magistrate knew who to talk to. (laughs) They just get terrified. And it's funny because there's so much ignorance in it. Like, people don't know you can't do this. And I'm like, no, like, how many businesses are there? What if every business in, let's just say Walker County, decided to go to the the um, three-way stop at Holcomb's and put a sign advertising their business? Because if you have the right to do it, so does every other business, right? right? <laughs> that was a couple thousand signs at the intersection. It's absurd. All I right. think it's a thing you for you also because <laughs> there's, there's that one spot where everybody puts signs and it's private land, right? And the landowner yeah, sometimes yeah. allows like a person to put uh-huh. it aside, but people think that's just but see, you know, I don't free, rip, free. But I don't rip them off because it's private property. So yes, we let those sit. But it yeah. it blocks views, and I it think does. that's why. Maybe not to your level, but a lot of people a lot of people get, um, get right. quite upset. Let's move off science because I'll talk for a day. <laughs> what do we think? Say in the next election cycle, or even the one after that. The campaigns that you guys ran are they going to become the norm? Absolutely. Did we, did we see? Yeah. We saw the beginning. They of better. Something. They better. Be, they better well, become. If the norm. they're not the norm, then they're a losing campaign. Yeah, well, right. Well, I think it depends on like like Nick said. It depends on the candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you have two older generation candidates, then probably not. They're going to stick. But to, but even there, let's say you're two older generation candidates. Because I mean, Nick, you're getting old now. Yeah. And so you're going to be an older generation candidate one day. 
but against the other older generation candidate, you can still beat them using social media. Absolutely. You don't have to run your own social media. You no, got a you know no. grandson laying around somewhere that's pretty good on Facebook. Right. So I think it's the norm. And uh, it allows you to present yourself however you want to. If but you're an older candidate and you want to present yourself on Facebook with some kind of youthful exuberance, you yeah. can do it. Yeah. Make Which videos, take pictures, edit your pictures, listen, do the beauty thing, mm-hmm. the Snapchat we'll filters, filters, whatever, yeah. Put some dog ears That's on. Right, right, filter it up. You know, make you know, <laughs> you it, it, know. Listen, and it works. We even did things like during the during the campaign at uh, at Foothills and stuff, selfie with the sheriff yeah. or selfie with the uh, you know with Nick, you yeah, know, whatever. That. So we just you know we did different you know yeah, a few different things it. to get with the times. Let the record show that I have one selfie with you, and it's so rare that you framed it and gave it to me. Did you guys hear what he just said? He just said, get with the time. So he is, yeah. he's an old man. He's, he's legitimately old. Yeah. got to get with the time. But and, and I don't want to get lost, especially on an election at this size and at the local level. The biggest thing was you connect with voters. You're having a genuine message. You mean what you're saying. You're not saying whatever the partisan talking point is. You know, we've that's basically what we're splitting national elections right. into now, right? So you get the one talking point of that party that you don't like, so you can't like their their people, even though you might agree with like 75, 80% of their platform, right? That's where we are now. That's how we're electing people, and it's insanity. Um, find somebody that gave you a real message and told you something, and you think they're going to make a positive change in your world, and uh, maybe vote for that person and give them a chance and, to make a positive change in your world. You know, and, and two, I think what resonates, too, is you shake someone's hand, mm-hmm. and they tell you, I'm not voting for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was our interview with uh, with the two Nicks, a.k.a. Pinky and the Brain. Well, and just to be clear, uh, that was part of our interview with them. We got off the rails, guys, mm. uh, a few times. I'm going to take the blame Dumpster fire. for that. And luckily uh, had our producer here and Jennifer cut down all the garbage. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Uh, so now let's move on to the segment that we're calling true story or fake yeah. news yeah are you ready for this one no but let's do it anyway uh so i tr- i'm gonna try to tie in with um with who our guest it's not gonna happen every time but i'm gonna try to to make a tie-in if there is one mm-hmm. this one the keyword here is millennials because mm. we're all are all of us millennials yeah i am roughly I think, I think we can be considered that i think technically you're 80 and up um, 1980 and up to yeah. 2000. So I, I think that was all of us. So, yeah. Millennials. True story or fake news. A U.S. military unit threatened to bomb millennials who showed up at Area 51. Bomb? Bomb. How, how key is bomb there? Very uh, key. Because I know... Uh, As in big planes. Yeah, I know they shoot you, and that's a real thing. But they um, threatened to do so, actually on social media. Would it, would it have happened on social media as well? I'm going to go with fake uh, because I really feel like they wouldn't waste the bomb, just pull the <laughs> you know the semi-automatic rifles out and handle it that way. You are 0 for 2. God, I knew it would be. My friend. I knew I would be. That's a real thing. Okay, I'm going to have to uh, read this one. So you got to frame it up for those people that don't know about this Area 51 rush mm-hmm. job. Yeah, so I didn't look into it that much, but essentially there was a, a hashtag mm-hmm. um, that started trending. My understanding was it was always supposed to be fake. Like, this was never supposed to be an actual event. But it's 2019, so we But some people so started taking it seriously. Yeah. So yeah. there was a lot of coverage about how many people were showing up and how far were they getting. I think there were, like, two events going on near Area mm-hmm. 51 mm-hmm. with some of the people who are already kind of in the conspiracy and, world. And anyway. it was a lot of people that are like, well, if you're not going to tell us the truth about what's going on in Area mm-hmm. 51, we're just going to rush so it they and were find gonna, I think it was, wasn't it, like, hashtag Storm Area yeah, 51 something or something? Like I mean, like, yeah. they were going to... Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. People were and it was it was like tenfold on their I on mean, their was, head. We're going to storm Area 51. It was tens of thousands of people following this mm-hmm. thing, and and you know, quote unquote, we're going mm-hmm. to it. I think a couple but hundred showed up. I sort of say not that many people showed yeah. up, but it was a thing because, yeah. like you said, it's 2019. Yeah. People were watching it. They were waiting for what's going to happen. So uh, during this time, there was a tweet from the Defense Visual Information Distribution <laughs> Service. We will bomb um, you. This is military, and so and it like, was a tweet. Did you I say it was a tweet? It was a tweet. Oh, it God, was a tweet. How twenty nineteen is that? Um, and they are an official. Like I think they are kind of in charge almost of like distributing some stuff on social media. Like okay. you know, again, Defense Visual Information Distribution Service. So try to put those words mm-hmm. together and figure out what they do. Mm-hmm. So on t- September twentieth. Uh, and they posted a picture that showed military members in front of a B-2 stealth bomber. 
and the tweet was the last thing hashtag millennials will see if they attempt the hashtag area 51 raid today mm. this became a thing because the department of defense had to uh, apologize i think within i don't know yeah that feels five or six hours it, i mean it was fairly quick. there was some ageism in there because uh, uh, i'm fairly certain you had some gen xers that were area really excited about hitting area 51 though. Like, um, yeah, I think they were making some. Yeah. I think they were making some assumptions about how they many were. people really. Now I'm curious. I'm going to dig deeper on this. I want to mm-hmm. see some ages on folks that were involved. Mm-hmm. You know, that were um, following. But yeah, this. they apologized. They said that was not. Uh, that's not who they are. I think yeah. they blamed it on a rogue employee. Uh, of course, we did. Which let's just be honest. Those are my favorite. Like everything gets blamed on that rogue employee. Yeah. You know, who goes off the rails and does something on the official that's account. It's a very busy person. I aspire to be the rogue. <laughs> employee like one day well you know they had to scapegoat you and one day when i'm done here there's going to be some weird something on the daily mountain eagles and your facebook everybody's going to know jennifer and it's going to be traced back to (laughs) (laughs) jennifer did it that was she finally left that's her calling card she's not at the daily mountain eagle anymore (laughs) so uh so yeah that's what they blamed it on just some guy who who put that out there and you can't find that except in like you know screenshots or something the tweet doesn't exist they immediately took the tweet well and as they're you know all your guidance counselors are telling you these days uh the things you put on social media do last forever so Mm -hmm. even if they delete them somebody's got them somewhere so yep yep so uh, so there you have it that was true yeah Um, this is uh this is my most censored episode Uh, i'm gonna be better uh mm -hmm. from now on i'm not off the rails we're learning and uh, we're having a lot of fun, though, and which is the point of what um, of what we hope that you guys are getting out of it. We hope that you're having a lot of fun with us. Yeah. Um, so who who do we have for these folks next? What's the what's the next? So one? next week, I believe, is when we'll have um, Senator Doug Jones. Yeah, okay. And Senate candidate Tommy Tuberville, who who is the leading. Uh, pollster on mm-hmm. the Republican mm-hmm. side. So we, uh, would be the at this point in time the most likely to unseat mm-hmm. Doug Jones. We um, uh, we gave him a lot of coverage in our kickoff. We episode, did, so we had to bring him in, right? And uh <laughs> and he came into our orbit and so we scheduled that interview and Doug Jones was actually on his way, um, which we didn't even know. We, yeah, we, we got lucky. We just uh we took uh what was given to us and and rolled with it but he was actually on his way to an event in coleman when mm-hmm. we caught up with him he came by the daily mountain eagles offices for uh, an interview with ed howell which is now available on the uh, mountain eagles youtube yeah, i watched that um, i watched that yesterday mm-hmm. or this morning i was proud of uh, ed he, he was all professional mm-hmm. he, was, was. he was looking good asking um, good questions he says he was trying to mimic some of the um the older newsmen from like the seventies who did these TV yeah. interviews. So he was trying. He was trying to go after. I think he got that. that. Kind of a he nailed it. Um, but yes, yeah, so that he, they, he was here to do that, and we kind of piggybacked off of that and got ten minutes. Yeah, we just basically blocked the doorway uh-huh. so Doug couldn't leave yet. Um, so yeah. that's why the interview is uh, is not that long because he had places to be. So we had him for about ten minutes, and then uh, and then we got Coach Turperville uh, a few few days later. Yep. So. Um, so, all right, we'll see you next week. See ya. Left on Red is a Daily Mountain Eagle production. Copyright 2019, Daily Mountain Eagle, all rights reserved.